Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here. For the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word, prepared here for uh, the saints of St. John, and uh, but also, of course, a benefit to anyone. I know uh, there's quite a few. Some of you have reached out to me who uh, watch or listen, either live or later in the day, but do so uh, under, well, pseudo-anonymously. Uh, but this has been a benefit to you because um, you don't have something similar available to you locally. So, um, greetings to you all. We uh, Today will actually be in the time of the judges, but a parallel account uh, alongside the, the book of Judges, which is the book of Ruth. So it's set in the time of the judges and tells of really the purpose for uh, God's calling Israel to repentance, um, afflicting them, bringing judges, is that he's preserving God's people for the sake of his promise, namely the promised Messiah, Jesus. All right, so that's what we're going to look at here today for the next few days. Next week, we'll actually begin readings for Christmas. All right, so let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Prayer Psalm for the week, Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. How about today? Hmm. I think we probably should wait on our meditation on the psalm, because today we do have a commemoration, but we'll get to that in a minute. All right. Memory verse, John 8. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 31 through 32. Catechism, Lord's Prayer. What is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, but we pray in this petition 
that it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come, and when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. All right. First reading today is a continuation from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So a lovely confession of what we call in our doctoral formation the humiliation of Jesus, the humiliation, uh, being humbled to the point of death, even death upon the cross. There are some who have taken what Paul says here and gone into heretical territory as well in saying that Jesus, of course, was not uh, fully God. Well, of course, because he was only found in the appearance of man. Or uh, also a a doctrine, false doctrine called adoptionism, where uh, he has always been God, but then he kind of adopted the human child of Mary and... um, took on the flesh that way. Of course, the creeds went to great pains to um, refute such false teaching. So what Paul is actually getting after here, of course, is that Christ is of two natures, uh, true God and true man. And um, he comes in the likeness, meaning we see him as man. And of course, uh, he could not be fully, uh, could not die for the sins of the world unless he was fully man. So um, that's why I don't think the adoptionism thing works out so well. And of course, uh, those who say he was adoption say that he put off human flesh and then uh, in his ascension and becomes fully God again. And not, there's kind of this half and half. There's all these sorts of false doctrines here. Um, what, what's going on here is simply that Jesus both becomes man, right, incarnate of the Virgin Mary, but in um, as being man, he humbles himself, so sets aside, um, that's one way the scriptures speak, or does not exercise his full divinity, but rather... Um, acts in every way uh, as man. Of course, there's times where his divinity shines through, right? As he does things that only perhaps God could do. Or maybe we don't think of those quite well. Maybe the idea that you could command creation is something that is fully man, but it was lost in the fall. Hmm. All sorts of interesting questions there about the two natures. But regardless, um, the the point is is that he would die for the sins of the world in the obedient in obedience to his father. Um, even though he is equal with the Father in respect to his divinity, less than the Father in respect to his humanity here, and uh, ultimately so that all would confess Jesus Christ as Lord and confess that uh, he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. So the purpose is the key here, not so much the the nuances of the action, I suppose. Although, uh, like I said, we have plenty of, of, of doctrinal formulations from the councils and decrees of the... Um, or the decrees from the councils, and also, of course, in our confessions as Lutherans, etc. All right, so that's heavy doctrinal stuff. Now we have narrative, a story, right? So maybe a little bit easier to approach. Ruth chapter 1. 
Now it came to pass in the days when the judges died, uh, ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the women survived. The woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and lifted up, they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said uh, to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb? that they may be your husbands. Turn back, my daughters, and go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should say, or if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Will I be buried? The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. Okay. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking uh, to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, um, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, that the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right. One of the children asked me this morning the meaning of the word Naomi, and I forgot to look, so. Uh, but now I have it. All right. Her name means pleasantness. Pleasantness. And that will come up especially uh, with her new name at the end. Uh, what happened during the time of the judges? So again, a parallel account. There's a famine in the land, and we have a city named Bethlehem involved. Uh, uh, Bethlehem meaning city of bread, ironically. All right. Uh, who went to Moab? We have Elimelech and his wife Naomi and his two sons Malon and Chilion. Elimelech, by the way, means my God is king. Right. My God is king. Melech, king. Eli, El, God. So um, also... I think important with the narrative here. All the symbolism in this story is it's it's so rich. Um, you can read it just as a narrative, of course. It's just a story, uh, a story of God's people, and specifically of 
the line and lineage of David, which will be Jesus's as well, certainly. Um, but the places and the names, mm, uh, rich in meaning, I think. All right. Um, Moab, of course, we've we heard about back in uh, Numbers 22 to 25, uh, the whole interaction between uh, uh, with Balaam, right? And Balak the king and, and trying to curse God's people. And then you have the sin of Baal Peor. Um, so that was back in the fall. We read through Numbers 22, 25. You can go read that. And the judgment that God had given regarding regarding the Moabite uh, the Moabites uh, comes by way of Moses in Deuteronomy twenty three. Um, these are those excluded from the congregation. So first, those who are emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter. One who's of an illegitimate birth shall not assemble. The Ammonite or the Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor and um, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. Right? And then also the Edomite because, and the Egyptian. Right? These are not allowed in to the 10th generation. So, huh, this is interesting. Um, hmm, how would, so Ruth, so has it been 10 generations yet? Well, that's a question. Or is it by way of marriage that she's brought into uh, the assembly? I would say it's the latter there. All right. Um, in Moab, then, Elimelech dies, and the boys marry Moabitess women, mm-hmm. also against God's command. They were forbidden to do intermarry with the Canaanites. Remember Joshua 23? Uh, here, Orpah and Ruth, and yet God even uses sinful rebellion for his good and gracious will. Important. Um, why did Naomi return to her home in, in Bethlehem? Well, her sons died, right? Um, and she heard that the Lord had ended the famine in Israel. Having no husband or sons means she has um, uh, no one to provide for her, and also uh, no bread, right? No, and no inheritance. So Naomi makes an offer to her daughters-in-law to um, that they can separate from her, and kind of divorce in a way, right? Um, return to, to their mother's house and hopefully find uh, new sons, or actually new husbands, I should say. There we go. Right, so you, and then she also gives them a blessing in her dismissal of them. Turn back, my daughters, and go. Um, what's what does she say before that? Oh yes, the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find Sabbath rest, each in the house of her husband. Now, of course, Ruth figures out that that's not possible, for God does not give rest for her family's gods, only the God of Israel. All right, deal kindly. Uh, with you is, um, or kindness, actually comes from the word for mercy, as said. This helps us understand Ruth's reason for remaining with Naomi. She actually knows the source of true mercy, and that's uh, the God of Israel. Right. So, uh, but Naomi strongly urges Orpah and Naomi, or Ruth to return to their home because she can offer them no husbands. Um, this is the, um, the, what do they call it, the Leverite vow, where the, the son, a brother would take her his older brother's wife, if that brother died, in order to bear children on behalf of him. Of course, it's a brother, because then you have the same um, genetic right, uh, 
prosperity. So it maintains the same uh, genealogy, the same family tree of a sort. Of course, the son would belong, well, conceived by way of the brother, but yet would belong historically to the, the lineage of his brother. Of course, they share the same name, so that would be fine. Same last name. All right. In any case, um, interesting uh, command from God uh, maintained in tradition there for them. There might be something to that, actually. All right. Um, Naomi describes her life in an interesting way. She says there in verse 13 that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. So she doesn't say this is fate or um, just the sinful world or something. She says it's the Lord's doing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, to quote uh, the prophet Job, right? Patriarch Job, right? So the Lord has gone against her because she has lost her husband and her son. She's too old to have another husband uh, and to bear more children. All right, Orpah takes Naomi up on the offer and returns to her home. Um, but notice that Ruth, verse 14, clings to her. All right, that's an important word, to cling to someone. Um, Joshua 23 is an example of this in his farewell address when he says, or else if indeed you go back, do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and have and they, they to you. All right, so don't, that's again, don't cling to the unbeliever. But here it's the unbeliever that's clinging to the believer, the opposite of what Joshua warned against. That's interesting. All right. Um, Psalm 63. Uh, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul clings close to you, or follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. All right. So it's, a, it's really a term of faith, because Israel was warned not to cling to the nations around them, right, in unbelief, um, but to cling to the true God in faith. And that's exactly what Ruth is doing. So there's an irony there, right? We don't go out and unequally yoke to unbelievers, but un, unbelievers can unequally yoke to us and, and then uh, be clung or cling on to um, the true God, right? Of course, that's going to happen through the word that's preached. So uh, the word that she heard preached from Naomi is that God has afflicted her, and she believes that, and yet looks to God for mercy. Very interesting, right? Uh, as far as what, what is faithful. Um, and then look at the song that she sings. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. How's that? Ruth emphasizes the vow that she will not separate from her except by death, right? Um, so there you have the, the marriage vow being extended also to the mother-in-law. Which is interesting, isn't it? If she's not faithful um, to Naomi, even unto death, then the Lord uh, actually bring her to die. All right. Um, then they uh, they go back to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, there are some that remember Naomi. It's been 10 years, right? She says, uh, no, I don't want to be called by that anymore, but Mara, that is bitterness. So she goes from pleasantness to bitterness. Of course, the city of Bethlehem goes from bitterness to pleasantness, because now it, it is truly a house of bread, because there is a barley harvest, all right? And again, she emphasizes that it's the Lord who has afflicted her. This is the, the good confession. I know it seems offensive to, to actually give God um, both weal and woe, both sickness and sorrow and health and gladness. Um, but we, we ascribe everything to God, uh, to his hands. Uh, what hymn does this? Sing praise to God, the highest good. Um, does this, I think. That's the hymn I'm thinking of. He gives me joy and sadness. Oh, 
Dun, 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 dun. I got the tune, but now I can't remember the first line. <laughs> he gives, uh, it's not what is the world to me. Um, yeah, it's one of those grief and sorrow hymns. Comfort and actually hope and comfort, I think, is the section. If I don't look it up, I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be disturbed by it the rest of the day until I come up with it, right? All right, uh, Redeemer, you know, Church Year, Praise and Adoration, Stewardship, Prayer, Hope and Comfort. What God ordains is always good. I think that's it. Um, here we go. Listen to this. What God ordains is always good. He never will deceive me. He leads me in His righteous way, and never will He leave me. True. true. I take content what he has sent. His hand that sends me sadness will turn my tears to gladness. Mm. Oh yeah, listen to this one too. Um, What God ordains is always good. He is my friend and father. He suffers not to do me harm, though many storms may gather. Now I may know both joy and woe. Someday I will see clearly that he has loved me dearly. For after grief, God gives relief. You know, that's the next hymn. I take it without shrinking. That's him, 760 in Lutheran service book. Okay? What God ordains is always good. I think that's the confession that he's bringing both Naomi and Ruth to here. And again, Job, right? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Job 19. All right? And again, we're back to Bethlehem now with bread. Barley harvest. How's that? That's beautiful. Um, The harvest reading is in chapter 2, although I think I don't have that scheduled for this week. We're just going to go right to... Boaz redeeming Ruth, um, and then the the kinsman redeemer conversation. I don't know. We'll see what we end up doing tomorrow. All right. So, although Ruth was denied any inheritance in the land under the law, she was drawn to faith in the God of mercy. Ruth received God's grace and believed in the Lord as she heard the preaching of Elimelech that God is king. Though Naomi and Ruth both lost their husbands, they were not driven away from God, but continued to seek mercy from him alone. Thus they returned to Bethlehem, the house of bread, because they sought the inheritance of grace and mercy that God promised to his people Israel. Ruth desired no other God. The two widows remind us of faithful Israel and the Gentiles, who both find their redemption in the bread of life, who is to be born in the house of bread. Our Lord would taste the bitter afflictions of this life, that he may raise us up from death to eternal life. All right, let's sing our hymn for the week. Uh, Prepare the Royal Highway. God's people see 
all branches true before him. Spread garments, shout and sing. God's promise will not fail you. No more shall doubt assail you. Hosanna to the Lord. For he fulfills God's word. Then fling the gates wide open to greet your promised King. Your King, yet every nation its tribute to should bring. All lands bow down before him, all nations know how to for him, Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. His is no earthly kingdom, it comes from heaven above. His rule is peace and freedom, and justice, truth, and love. So let your praise be sounding, for kindness so abounding. Hosanna to the Lord, for he fulfills God's word. Yeah, we missed a commemoration on uh, Monday. That was uh, John of Damascus, famous uh, theologian and hymn writer. Too bad. Come ye faithful, raise the strain, the day of resurrection. Ugh. Well, in any case, maybe next time. Uh, today, though, we have a commemoration. Today is St. Nicholas Day. That's right. It's Nicholas of Myra, pastor. Nicholas was born in Patera, present-day Turkey. Orphaned at an early age, he was adopted by his uncle, the bishop of that city. His piety marked him as one who would serve well in the church. About 317, he was elected bishop of the city of Myra in Lycia, also present-day, part of present-day Turkey. Tradition states that he was among the fathers who gathered at the first, for the First Council of Nicaea and was a staunch anti-Arian. Nicholas confessed boldly the full deity of the eternal word. Much later, tradition tells, tells that at the council, he actually struck the heretic Arius, but this is apparently a medieval fabrication. Slap a heretic day, some people joke. The stories of Nicholas's kindness to the poor became well known throughout Christendom. Perhaps the most famous was the account of a poor man who had three daughters but no dowry to give any of them. The girls would most likely have ended up in slavery or prostitution. But the kind bishop, hearing of their plight, used funds from the church to secure their freedom from such a cruel fate. Under the cover of night, he dropped into the house small bags of gold coins. According to some accounts, all three bags were delivered at once. According to others, the bags were delivered to each the day before a given daughter came of age. Either way, the young ladies were able to marry and thus rescued from lives of disgrace and hardship. Nicholas became beloved by sailors due to an account of a sea voyage he once took. He was on pilgrimage to the Holy Land when the ship he was traveling in fell into a fierce squall. The kindly bishop prayed to the Lord of wind and sea. The sea grew markedly calm, and the sailors rejoiced. Because of the help given to the three daughters for their dowry, 
The saint became or came to be associated in many places with charitable giving, and also with a special love for the Lord's little ones. His feast day is thus observed in many t- lands as a time for gift-giving, especially to children. In Germany, it was common for the saint to arrive in full bishop's regalia and distribute small gifts to children on December 6th. In North America, due to Clement Mark, uh, Clark Moore's famous poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, the saint merged with certain other tradition to become the modern Santa Claus. What lives on in the church today is a day to celebrate a man of orthodox faith and devout prayer, shaped by the love of Christ, who delighted to bestow gifts to bless children. All right. So the legend of St. Nicholas and Santa Claus got merged and unfortunately, um, I would suggest distorted instead of being one of charity, being the whole, if you're naughty or nice nonsense. All right. So there you go. Clement Clark Moore. I don't know this poem. Do you know this poem? All right, we'll try to find it here. I'm sure it's available. Poetry Foundation, there you go. All right, so I'll put a link to that in the comments so you can uh, go check out the poem that was mentioned there. Twas the night before Christmas. That's what we usually call it, isn't it? Hmm. Interesting. All right, let us pray. Almighty God, you bestowed upon your servant Nicholas of Myra the perpetual gift of charity. Grant your church the grace to deal in generosity and love with children and with all who are poor and distressed, and to please the cause of those who have no helper, especially those tossed by tempest of doubt or grief. We ask this for the sake of him who gave his life for us, your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God, for parents who must rear their children alone, and for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Pray for the households of our church, especially that of Jennifer, Catherine, Doug and Teresa, Michael, Jack and Patty and Renee. Pray for our catechumens. We pray for all those who are ill, Um, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Ralph, Allison, Joe, Dennis, Glenn, Christopher, Sophie, and Brad, Ron, Carol, Doug, Donna, Joan, Sandy, Owen, Wendell, Jolene, and President Willie, our homebound, the missions and mercy work of the church, especially a place of refuge. Continue to pray for Walt, uh, who is in hospice care at Kathy Hospice in West Bend. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That's our congregation of prayer uh, for today. Wednesday, December 6, 2023. It's good to have you with us. Um, I'd encourage you to make plans this evening to come out. We have our Advent uh, 
supper actually at uh, five thirty. So we haven't had one of those probably four years going on now. COVID kind of knocked it off its pedestal. It's back. All right. So gather for a time of um, food and fellowship before gathering around God's word for divine service at six thirty. And again, this year for divine service, the three uh, midweek services will have um, consider very specifically um, the gift of John the Baptist. All right, the last prophet, the prophet who is to come. All right, God be with you all. I hope to see you uh, this evening for a meal and for uh, divine service. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org that's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.